coming up, a conversation with Yemi Mobilade, candidate for Colorado Springs mayor. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, Executive Editor of 6035. And I'm Shelley Roars, Spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 city election. Uh, this interview is both an episode of our new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. Yemi, just why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, for just the next couple of minutes, let us get to know you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm a note taker, so that's why I'm taking notes. <laughs> so first of all, Shelley, thank you for having me. I, I really do appreciate your work in our community. And you said making democracy work. That was pro, that was powerful. I had to write that down because that resonates deeply with who I am. And Brian, um, thank you, too. Um, thank you to you on behalf of the 6035 team and the work you guys both do in this community. So my name is uh, Yemi, Yemi Mobilade. And the first thing you need to know about me is I love this city. Um, this city chose me, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. I am a husband to a badass woman. Her name is Abby Mobilade, and she is a nursing educator as well as an ICU nurse. Um, if you want someone to save your life, that's my wife. And we're both parents to three young kids, nine, five, and three, and the struggle is real. <laughs> Our family, um, we're all along for the ride. We're, uh, we're all making this sacrifice um, to serve our city, and it's a sacrifice that we're, we're proud and excited to, to make. Um, one, another important thing um, your listeners should know about me is I, I'm, a, I'm a proud American. I moved to this country 26, 27 years ago. I'm one of the few candidates um, in this race that have been profoundly affected by the American dream. This this city has been good to me. This land has been good to me. I moved to Colorado Springs 12 years ago for also for opportunity, and it's time to give back to this country and this city that has helped made me, especially in these times where we're desperate for good leadership. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Yemi, we're going to get into some specific questions. Uh, first one has to do with water and development. What's your stand on the 128% water rule and for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annexed developments? Absolutely. I have been following this issue closely. Uh, actually, a few months ago, I, I did a water tour to the lower Arkansas Valley to take a look at um, some of our neighboring communities and to see opportunities around um, acquisition of new water um, water supply. Mm-hmm. I'm in favor of some of those um, efforts, and I think we need to continue those innovative collaborations with farmers as we help and enhance their technology tools and the water that they save gets um, gets um, uh, passed our way. Those type of creative and innovative me- um, measures I'm fully in support of, which is really important. It's really important for our listeners to know that the the function and the breakdown of our government. So you have the mayor's office, a $420 million budget, 2,500 employees, our functions around public works, public safety, and public parks. Then you have utilities, which doesn't fall under the mayor's jurisdiction. And they have uh, a big budget, $1.6 billion now, and they care for our utility infrastructure. 
I love the design because it creates checks and balances between the mayor's office and this public-owned enterprise. And we are forced and tasked to work together. So as mayor, I'm tasked to work with city council to ensure that we have water for today and tomorrow. The 128% rule is a great start. Great start. It forces the conversation that we should have been having, God knows, like years ago. Mm-hmm. So here we are. There's... Um, there's tension and argument around why we're having a conversation. I'll leave that to the community to t- speak more about. But, yes, we must ensure that we have water for um, tomorrow and for today and tomorrow. I feel that 128% strikes that balance and a good compromise right now between ensuring that we have water to serve our current residents and commercial needs as well as being leaving the door open to some annexation mm-hmm. that fits within this par- parameters. Um, the last thing I want to say is as mayor, I want to balance that tension between ensuring that we have water, we have some vulnerabilities, the Colorado River is drying up. That's no surprise to folks. We have to ensure that we can meet the current demands. And at the same time, we are 12,000 units short in this city. Supply, housing, housing yes, housing. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Um, supply mm-hmm. is low, demand is high, home, cost of homes going up. So when it comes to annexation, Decision, to me, that fits in the affordable and attainable housing and leaving that window Mm. open. But the first priority is to, as mayor, to the half a million people that call this home. Mm -hmm. He got ahead of you, but I'll pass it over to Shelly. So my also question is about water. Um, We waste a lot of water. Landscaping is 78% of our usage. Yes. A a resort who's got broken... It is. Right. A, a resort's got a broken sprinkler, doesn't get fixed for a day. It's a lot of water wasted. A golf course. No offense to all those golfers out there, but, um, <laughs> you know, golf courses. And my neighbor who plants Kentucky bluegrass, you know, right. not native. So right. it's a lot of water wasted. So one, how can we do better there? And then two, um, you may have already answered it, but just to clarify, should the city consider extending water and or other utilities to subdivisions that are located outside the city that might never be annexed as part of being that regional water provider that they're uh-huh. really doing right now? No, thank you. It's a, it's a two-part question. Yes to conservation efforts. Um, yes to um, demand management and ensuring that we are saving uh, I think the challenge, Shelley, is the fact that uh, a lot of people watching and listening, they're like me, you just don't know. I got to be honest, um, after being on that water, water tour, I came back and told my wife, we're changing some habits. Now, I, I live in a historic part of the community. It's not as though we have a huge <laughs> land <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. But after going on that tour and seeing and um, understanding, I've made some changes. Um, yes, moving away from the Kentucky bluegrass, finding more z- zero scaping, another section of my yard, because now I know I understand more of our, I understand fully our vulnerabilities. So one of the things I would like to do is take that education as mayor to a large scale. I've spent a huge part of my campaign educating people. Sometimes people ask me, what does a mayor do? And I explain to them, they go, I had no idea. You know, city has a very limited budget. Wow, only four hundred twenty twenty million. District eleven budget is bigger than our city. Mm-hmm. Really? How are we paying for our service? Education. So the point I'm making is, I, I fully intend to educate 
help educate our resident and partner with utilities to ensure that message is getting out because I believe if people know, they will begin to make those changes. All right, the second question, uh, what was that? Whether or not Annex, you're okay with the city providing utilities to places that will never even be annexed into the city as that regional water provider. You know what's interesting about that is that um, there's a document called the Annexation Plan that already speaks to some of those realities. I mean, the the Annexation Plan um, outlines um, how we look at annexation priorities. And I have to say, that plan needs to be revisited. It's from 20, uh, 2006, so it's old. We need to bring it up to speed. But I find it interesting that it actually answers that question. One of the first things it says is um, water is owned by the city and the residents that live in the city. Number one, we own the water. Number two is that we have to give first priority to the water needs of our residents. Number three, which I thought was interesting, and I and this is how I answered actually my questionnaire for 6035, so this is actually in there. Number three is the city has to give consideration to annexation project if it's of benefit to the city, especially around economic development, and there's a whole set of criteria. But that consideration has to first take into consideration <laughs> our ability to meet our water needs. I read that and I went, huh, why, why aren't we talking about that? I mean, that, Shelly, that truly is the, is the answer. I, I often find that these conversations is, is uh, or. And that's just politics today. And that's a type, that's what I want to disrupt as a leader and a political leader. And sometimes it's, uh, it's not the tyranny of the or, it's, the, it's embracing a genius of the end. And that's who Abraham Lincoln was, who is one of my heroes. And we both have the same birthday coming up on Sunday. <laughs> so he's uh, he's one I've always admired. He held the union together when you had these two opposing dialogue and forces. And so um, what I'm proposing is what the annexation plan says. Let's look at what our city needs, first and foremost. And based off of that answer, now let's see if it doesn't make sense to annex. Because we can't close the door to annexation. There are some opportunities there as well. Very good. Thank you. Being from central Illinois in the land of Lincoln, I, I was, I'm a huge hero. Her- he's one of my big heroes, so oh. appreciate that. Thank you, yeah. sir. Brian. I have no feelings about Lincoln. No. <laughs> <laughs> Out. Out every single one of us. We can have our own Lincoln life. moment here. Right, we can. Let's change this podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, Yemi, uh, where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? Um, one of the things that COVID um, – taught us was um, there is a need for ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only because uh, of the work, the changing landscape of how we do work and people are now trying to have home offices. Mm -hmm. So we saw that there was a need for that. But the reason why I'm even more in favor of ADUs is that it helps solve our housing affordability crisis. Mm -hmm. The opportunity for people to have this attachment or sometimes detached in their home, they're often called mother-in-law suite mm-hmm. or, you know, um, so many other names. But it creates this opportunity for needed housing for our community and also it's an economic opportunity for the homeowner, the residents to make an extra little something. So, yes, I am in favor of it. And I think the city, I believe, not I think, I know the city has a process right now for going for for residents that are interested in ADUs and I think it's worth exploring but we when we think about the future of our city this is an important part of 
the conversation. And I know our retool new zoning laws is also allow some of those flexibilities too. Should it be up to the communities or should it be a, a broad? City oh, that's decision? a great. Now you're asking a political question. <laughs> um, both. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the constitution expansion roadways. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a definitely hot topic right now. I, I, we were knocking on doors in that neighborhood right before the first town hall. By the way, knocking on doors. You gotta, you, you learn about this community. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I go with my wife and my son and the three of us are, um, learning about our community and meeting residents. Okay. We're knocking in that neighborhood and one of the ladies, I just appreciate what she said. She said, um, this conversation is already too late. Hmm. She said, I truly believe our city needs that east to east to west connectivity. But the vibrancy of our neighborhood is set. Mm. It's been created. I hear the residents. So back to your question, Brian. The reason why I say it's both is that, you know, we do have individual freedoms as America. We should be able to um, make those decisions. And there's a process for that from through city government. Mm-hmm. But the vibrancy of our neighborhoods, the character of our neighborhoods are also equally important. And one of the things I appreciate about Retool, this new zoning laws, um, it connects with um, things like Plan COS. Mm-hmm. That it's a tension of why we're adapting these new flexible zoning laws that is needed for our city to promote infill and density and more affordable housing option. At the same time, we have to ensure that the character and the vibrancy of our neighborhood is maintained. That's why most of us have said yes to the neighborhoods we live in. So I think people, I think that's a greater concern when people ask, is this going to change my neighborhood? Am I going to like living here? Is this, is this still going to remain safe? Those are the questions residents are asking. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. Shelly? Um, also along housing as well, uh, kind of a follow-up. The city has an affordable housing crisis. It's affordable uh affordable housing, attainability, whatever you want to call it. How, what are your plans to help with that? Absolutely. So let's, um, you mentioned two things, really important. Um, so the affordable and attainable is under this category um, that I like to call um, housing affordability. Because affordable housing um, denotes lower income housing. That's usually what, and that is certainly needed. So we need all housing types. It's housing for all. It really is what our city needs. Attainable housing, we're now we're talking about workforce housing. And that now falls into a category of residents called the missing middle income earners. So these are residents that make between 50,000 to 100,000. Our clerks, our um, the pillars of our community, our nurses, our firefighters, even um, police officers, there's virtually no housing available for that category. That keeps me up at night. Affordable housing, on the other hand, um, we're not there yet, but we're slowly making strides. 20% of all housing development currently is in the category of affordable. So that lower income housing, we can continue to do, um, get better in that area. But the missing middle, nothing. So what am I going to do about it? Because that's, that's a, that's a million dollar question. So, um, I'm committed to best practices from other cities. So one of my first idea, I stole this. So I, um, there is um, there's a program called the Missing Middle Income Gap Fund. Gap Fund. So what it does is that it pulls together philanthropists, foundations, and business people, creates this fund that it's used for two purposes: to so help with development, but even more to help subsidize the cost of 
um, housing for those for that category because building materials are way too expensive. Um, this fund actually, this is the most important thing. It promotes innovative housing, cost efficient housing. We need to start looking at new ways of doing housing because we're doing the same old thing and expecting different results. So I talked to a leader the other day at one of my meet and greets who's actually doing housing in the 3D space. I'm like, okay, you have me. Here's my card. Let's meet. So that's what this fund will promote, like innovative types of houses that makes it ultimately more affordable. Number two, um, we have to look at the city. So what can a mayor affect? Um, the city government. We have to streamline the process. I want to give priority to attainable and affordable housing projects. Move us through the process because you have to imagine by the time you start the permitting process, and if you're not even getting through that process to another six months, by the time six months or nine months, building materials are more expensive. So we got to get them through the process quicker. Number three, um, financing. At the end of the day, I've talked to developers, and they just can't make the math work. So let's continue to get those dollars into our community. They're in the state level and in the federal level. As mayor, I will be proactive in getting those funds and number four, and one of the ones that is really important to me is I plan to appoint a chief housing officer that will advance the city's housing priorities at all levels, including exploring the whole rental and the cost of rent going up. I don't know what a mayor can do there, but I want this role to report to me directly to as a, as a stamp of this matters, this is really important, and we're going to make this, we're going to fix it. Thank you very yeah. much, Okay, let's move to public safety. Uh, police department is short many officers, figures anywhere from 50 to 70 from authorized strength, all while crime and traffic fatalities are climbing. Uh, climbing. Um, what would you do about public safety and uh, in particular the police department? Absolutely. I, uh, I received a, a message from a local resident. Um, I get emails almost every day. And her... Her, she had the same question to me, Brian. She said, "I last October, my son was hit mm. in a car accident. Um, what are you going to do about rising traffic accident?" Mm -hmm. um, it was hard for me to respond to her email. I had to call her. Yeah. I, I did. It just it just broke my heart. And she represents one of many residents that I've talked to, who are increasingly asking questions about the rising crime. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are short, and that is, we're short 70, sometimes I've even heard 100, mm. um, and we're going to need more officers, and that's certainly contributing to the problem. So we do have to increase recruitment. I want to be at the helm of helping to recruit the new generation of officers to include women and minorities, really important. Um, when something is important to the city, it's important to me as mayor, and I, it's not just something I want to assign a team member. I will be involved in those recruitment efforts. So that's one. Number two is it's not enough to recruit, and the city is actually doing uh, a better job at um, more training academies, so you have simultaneous academies, so we can add more quickly. Um, at the same time, we have to close the back door. Early retirement, we're struggling with retention. The pressures of the jobs is hard. I've seen it firsthand. I did a ride-along with PD. I've done a ride-along with FD. Um, the weight of the badge is heavy. The challenges from other cities, such as Minneapolis and um, Memphis as of late, mm -hmm. 
have brought actually about better policing practices. Mm-hmm. And I've and these ride-alongs, I've actually talked to um, women and men, uh, law enforcement officers, who say, I actually like the the practices that it's it's created. I love having a body cam because it not only pr- protects a resident, it protects me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, these pressures have put a lot of undue pressures on the job, mostly political and cultural. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be a law enforcement officer. People are leaving. In fact, in my ride along with the fire department, um, the fourth person on the on the engine was a gentleman that spent 14 years in law enforcement and couldn't do it again. Hmm. So he became a firefighter. Um, so we have to increase morale. It's one of the things I want to do. And we're going to increase morale by recognition, not just talking about the mistakes that I've made, but to say, here's how the women and men who are... Sorry, my phone is. That's <laughs> you guys can hear that. Here's how the women, the women and men that are just really crushing it and saving lives. We need to tell those stories. Um, number two is work-life balance. Really important. And number three is leadership development and the ongoing training that they need. And that will help boost morale within the department. Okay. Thank you, Yemi. Yeah. Chuck? Um, one of the issues that the city has is uh, we have a homeless issue. Right. Right. Um, how, what are you, what's your plan to address that? Homeless issue. Um, right now, that's a public safety issue. In, the, in this in last fall, within a span of three months, we have um, seven homicides in terms of homeless and homeless homicide. Um, it's a public safety issue because I'm a downtown business owner and I know people have stopped coming mm. because they don't feel safe, um, whether it's the reality or the perception. Um, now that affects a whole different set of issues in economic development um, and perception. Beyond public safety, it's a it's a it's a human dignity issue. We must these are residents. I use the term residents. They belong these these um, many of these men and women belong to our community. The um, the misnomer is that Denver is sending busloads of homeless people to Colorado Springs and dumping them. To my knowledge, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I am on the board of Springs Rescue Mission. Um, my understanding is 70, 80% of our homeless residents actually are from this city. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes as a business owner, we're in touch with the family members of these um, residents. So there's, there's opportunity. Um, what I also know is the Colorado Coalition for Homelessness has estimated about 70% of all homelessness in this state is connected to mental health. Mm-hmm. So we know that's a problem. I've seen it firsthand from my ride-alongs that uh, law enforcement officers and first responders now have to be mental health professionals. It's quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so priority number one is to invest in mental health. So the city has um, good partnership with many of our local providers, including the PLACE, Springs West Commission, Catholic Charities. Um, I've seen it on both sides, from working in city government and being on the board of Springs West Commission. What I want to change or enhance is there's going to be strings attached to that financial contribution, mm-hmm. and it's going to be organizations that are prioritizing mental health care because we're not going to fix the issue if we don't take care of mental health um, and substance abuse. Number two is um, we've talked about, um, I don't think I've talked about it yet, but the innovative programs from the fire department the homeless outreach program. I'm going. I do fully plan to expand that into the city budget and to add more staff, because these team of professionals and in in collaboration with Diverses Health and Fire and PD, they're trained 
with in behavioral health crisis intervention because we know we have a new type of public safe, safety challenge. Why not equip our team members with that type of um, training? And then that would be that would flow into the um, the hot team as well, the homeless outreach team. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Brian? All right. We got time for probably two more here. Um, Yemi, if you're elected, do you foresee any new fees or tax increases? Not at the moment. Uh, times are hard. Um, inflation, wages are not keeping up with the cost of living. I I cannot. I'm I'm the mayor <laughs> that is running as one who's representing the needs of the resident because I I believe Colorado Springs deserves a leader like me that uniquely understands the challenges from being a small business owner, from being even a, one of the 2,500 government employees I'm about to serve, mm-hmm. um, to being a parent, and I I um. I know firsthand times are hard, so I don't believe we can do that. But I also know the greatest opportunity that I have as mayor is the bully pulpit to go after new funding mm-hmm. and bring those into our community. They're out there, and I fully intend to um, bring those. I don't right now, the moment I don't intend to um, increase tax. And when, if and when that time comes, I will take a different approach and how we go to the residents to ask their permission and make a case for it. What do you mean by different approach? Public engagement. Um, one of the, one of, um, I want my legacy, Brian, to be the, the mayor that really consulted with the people the, to crack this code around public engagement and listening that I am also present at town halls. Um, one of the things I like to do is we talk about campaign. One of the things I say is campaign is the, is has you 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 implement all the best strategies to engage with residents, and then you get the job, and then you don't do that anymore. I don't get that. Well, yeah, I'm knocking on doors, I'm doing town halls, I'm doing meet and greets, I'm doing, I'm pulling out the best strategies to engage with the public. Mm-hmm. Why don't I do that as I govern? Mm-hmm. So if you need a tax increase, or you need something, you need the citizens and the residents to have a say on it. Let's engage them really well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the leader that cracks the code in how we do public engagement because my table is big enough for diverse residents and neighborhoods to come to the table. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm going to kind of combine my last two questions so we can get them in there. Okay. Um, it's two-pronged, very different subjects. What are your thoughts on raising city council pay to be a reasonable amount, to be inclusive of others who do not have the ability to do this as their only job, like retirees? So that's the first question, city council pay. And then um, spring municipal elections, right? You're in the middle of them. We literally just had them, and we, we turn right back around in the fall and do school board. So for us, for volunteers, right. it's literally two elections in one, in, well, three elections in a little over a year. So what are your thoughts on moving spring municipal elections to the fall to help increase voter turnout and save the city $600,000 a year? Uh, let's start with a latter question. Um, there are a lot of savings I've heard. I, I've, been a, I've been a vocal advocate of moving it to the fall because of um, even personal reasons. Your holidays are hard because <laughs> you're trying to, instead of enjoying time with the families, um, you're running a campaign. But to the point that you made, we save money, why not? Um, it's a, it also increases access because everybody else, everybody's engaged, mostly. Not everyone is engaged, but you know what I mean. Um, you, have a, you have a county election going on. You have the state election going on. You have the feds going on. Where's the city? 
it makes sense that that would all be happening at the same time. One of the things I hear from people is, we're just fatigued. By the time you're done with November, no one wants to do this again. 26% in last April, 26% of us voted. I've sat with residents in this city. On my account, friends, we're going to see participation, uh, good participation in April like we haven't seen in a long time. But I've sat with people that have been retired from the Air Force. They have said, I've lived in this community for 18 years. I've never voted in April. Ultimately, voting is about American democracy and giving a chance for a voice to be heard. And democracy is a participatory sport, not a spectator sport. So why not consider bringing it to the fall? Okay. It's also, selfishly, I've also, so that's one perspective I've, ha- I've had as of the last two weeks. I kind of also have enjoyed my signage not getting lost with all the other mm. election. People tune out also. So people have engaged a little bit more. So that's just a recent thing that I've thought about. That's true. Yeah. But, okay. um, yeah, so that's my answer to, to that. And the former question was. Um, City, City council, council pay. Yeah. I mean, I'll make that one short. Yes. Mm-mm. Okay. Because when we created, friends, when we created a strong mayor system, there are only three communities in, in the state of Colorado that have strong mayor, Pueblo, Denver, and Colorado Springs. When we created a strong mayor system and when we didn't take a look at cr- beefing up city council as primarily pay, what we kind of did was create a weak city council. And so um, for this to work in the way it's supposed to be designed, you need a strong city council and a strong mayor. And because of the pay, I'm just being honest, it's, it's, it makes it a little bit weak. So we lack diversity. It's not fully representative of the people. And it's a legislative body that's supposed to be um, the most representative of the people. But it's not until we make it, in, until we change it in such a way that people can at least make some kind of livable wage from it. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, Emmy, you've got two minutes to close us out. How <laughs> should we vote for you? This um, this election is about a choice. Friends, uh, the stakes are greater. Um, the leadership that brought us here, it's not the leadership that's going to carry us in this next season. This election is about a choice between status quo and the greatness of our city, what our city could become. We have the option of continuing being a city for the few or we can become a city for the many. We can continue being a city that is just okay with fine, or we can actually become a city that is great. We can continue being a city that just accepts its issues are, uh, yeah, we have these issues and we'll just try to implement the same things that we've been doing, or we can get our hands dirty. And with great collaboration and creativity, we can solve these problem. Friends, I believe that communities are only as good as the government, and your government are only as good as those that you elect in them. So we have a choice to make on April 4th. You can decide to elect a career politician and just keep helping them advance their own career uh, ladder, political ladder, or elect a leader who actually understands the challenges that our residents are facing. That's why they keep calling me now the people's mayor, the people's mayor. And that's what's on the ballot. It's the future of our city. So our listeners, our friends that are watching, choose well and vote this April. Your ballots are coming out March 10 and vote for me as part of that decision for the future of your city. Thank you, Yemi. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. You got it. You've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And stay with 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced by Dave Gardner, video directed by Nick Raven. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stirring Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you can do. just you can just subscribe to the sixty thirty five podcast network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely, and there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today, and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it. That wasn't so painful.